Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. All right, my name is Elise. I'm 37 years old, and my husband, I've actually been best friends with him since I was in the fifth grade. Um, we dated other people throughout that time, and it's so funny because. Like, we both had other serious relationships in our lives, and I would get in arguments with my boyfriends, and I would always run to my husband for dating advice, and he worked at a restaurant at the time, and it's so funny because I'd sit in the back kitchen of the restaurant, and he'd make me Mickey Mouse chocolate chip pancakes and give me all the relationship advice that I needed, and it he always had solid advice. It always worked and it would fix like my other relationship. And now that like we're married and stuff, um, he's like, I only gave you advice because I knew like we'd end up together. Like I knew we were soulmates. <laughs> so it's so funny how like our upbringing and it's nice though, because we were always best friends. So there's, we've always known everything about each other. Like we know why we are the way we are. And it's funny because we'll sit in the morning though and talk still every morning we wake up before our children and have conversations. And we still kind of, um, with strengthening our faith in the Lord, have been really healing from our past and our families and stuff. And we'll come to all these realizations and be like, this is why this happened to us. And, oh, now we understand this. So we the growth that we both had together, especially within the past five years has just been tremendous um part of my story from my background is my parents were very the type of people where we weren't really like that religious um we believed in God and Jesus but it was never discussed or talked about in our house we didn't go to church we didn't pray so there was no real connection with the Lord and my parents, and they still do to this day, look at doctors as these sort of like gods. Like the doctors can do no wrong. What they say is the only way. Like, oh, if they say you can't heal that, then that's it. That's your diagnosis. This is your life now. So I grew up with that mindset. Like I ran to the doctors for everything. And breaking free from that is a big part of my story too. So my story really starts in 2012 when my husband and I finally got married. We tried to conceive for three years after that. And I just kept marking it up to, well, I work days, he works nights. So it's our schedules. Like, that's why it's not happening for us. And 
then my sister needed a surgery and found out she had endometriosis and my mom had bad endometriosis and I was put on birth control when I was in middle school from my doctor because my periods were so bad and as most women know that's just their band-aid for every woman like oh let's put you on birth control so I was in like seventh or eighth grade when I got put on birth control to regulate my periods because I would be on the floor, hunched over in pain, like pale white. I missed school. Like it was so painful and bad. And I was on birth control up until right before my wedding. I thought I was doing the right thing. And I made a doctor's appointment just to say, oh, I'm about to get married. We want to conceive after. Like, can you just check and make sure I'm okay? And am I safe to go off the pill? Because like I said, in my household, doctors knew everything. And they told me I was perfectly fine, perfectly healthy to go off the pill. And every month it was torture. I felt like I was dying. Like I would go pale white. I was puking. I was passing out again. I was calling into work. And I was like, man, like this is horrible. And then when my sister got diagnosed and my mom said that she had it, I was like, okay, well, nobody's ever even mentioned endometriosis to me. So I made a doctor's appointment with my regular regular primary care provider, and I had her check me, and I had her check my thyroid too because my sister had thyroid issues, and so did my mom. So I was like, well, nobody's ever asked me about these things. Maybe these are some areas you should look into. But my primary said I had no endometriosis. I was fine. So they thought maybe I had it because I was experiencing real severe issues with my bowels, but only during my period, not to be gross, but it was like blood clots. So they thought I had endometriosis in my colon. So they sent me for a colonoscopy and I I was in my early twenties. Like I was still really young at this time. And they said that came back fine. So I was like, man, like I'm, they're telling me I'm fine and that this isn't it. I'm at such a loss and I'm in so much pain. So then I went to my OB and he was like, well, that's kind of an OB thing and not a primary thing. So why don't I check you? So I'm like, why not? Like everybody else has checked me at this point, like whatever. So he checked me and this is three years after trying to conceive and my endometriosis was so bad. He pretty much immediately scheduled me for surgery. So I went into surgery and because, um, the severity of my endometriosis, they had to have a general surgeon in there too, because they thought they might have to take part of my colon out. So I was in surgery for hours. And when I woke up, uh, they were able to successfully put back my other organs that had shifted, but they took out my left ovary and my left fallopian tube. And they told me that they did a test on my right side and it was labeled completely non-functional. He said my tube was completely destroyed and blocked off from the severity of my endometriosis and that there was 0%, like no way to fix it. And that my only chance to ever conceive a baby would be through IVF. And I was like, in hysterics because nobody ever plans to conceive through a clinic. And I was like, if I was like, 
my body's destroyed. It's completely non-functional. I was like, this doctor said the only way. And my husband was like, I don't like the idea of IVF. And he's like, I, I don't feel it's right. And I was pretty much just, I want a baby. <laughs> like, it can't happen any other way. I want this to happen. Our insurance didn't cover it. So my husband was against this every step of the way. I'll put that out there and defend him where I was just like, nope, we're doing it. We're going. We paid almost $11,000. And at the clinic, when we got there, um, they told me even with everything, like I only had a 20% success rate because of how damaged my insides were from the endometriosis. So with all the fertility drugs I was on, um, I was able to form, they only got two eggs out of me. So I'm injecting these shots directly into me, which now I look back and I'm like, I don't even know the ingredients in these. It felt like a trillion bee stings attacking my stomach with these trigger shots. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't ask for inserts. I was just like, nope, I want a baby. Like who cares? Inject me with anything, which now I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah, I'm curious how you reckoned with the 20% chance. Paying that much money for a 20% chance, that is not good odds. So what was your mindset like with that? My, It's so crazy because my relationship with the Lord now is so much stronger. And I actually have a relationship where at that point I... I had no relationship. I never even read the Bible. I was disconnected, but I still had strong faith. So I was like, well, if God wants this to work, he'll let it work. He knows I'm meant to be a mom. So that was my outlook at that time, which I, now that I look back and I've repented to the Lord for doing IVF because I went to a clinic who tries to play God. And that's kind of the way I look at it now. Back then I was like, well, it's my only chance. My body's destroyed, which now I know that's not the case. God had other plans for my husband and I and to teach us how to heal naturally. And we just didn't get to that part in our life yet. But I, I didn't want to wait. I was just like, nope, I want a baby now. And especially because my endometriosis started coming back. So they wanted me back on a year-round birth control. So it was either go back on birth control or have another surgery or pay the $11,000 and take my 20% chance. So I took that chance because I kind of felt stuck. And back then I felt like that was those were my only options. And now I see that it, it's not. But that's, I just took everything for face value for what the doctors were telling me at the time, that I was uncurable, unhealable, and this, this was it. And then even with all the fertility drugs to increase my eggs, they only were able to get two out of me. And both took embryos. And knowing that I only had such a low 20% success rate, I said, put, like, put them both in. Because the ch they even said the chances of either of them taken are still, like, very low. So the first ultrasound, they actually both did take. But then the second ultrasound, um, there was only one sack. So one ended up not taken. And then the one did take, and it turned out that that was our daughter. And her birth, 
I stayed at the same clinic um, with the same OB throughout that whole pregnancy. And I just, everything they told me to do, I completely trusted and did. Um, And I was strep B positive. So when my water broke at work for my daughter, I called the hospital and was like, I'm strep B positive. So when I come in, I need IVs. Like I was totally programmed by these doctors. And I was like, I'm not trying to be a hero. I want an epidural. Like, I don't want to feel this at all. So please make sure my room can have an epidural. So I drive home from work. I get my husband. We get to the hospital. And the doc, the nurses there are trying to tell me that my water didn't break. And like, I, it, I was soaking wet. My water definitely broke. And I had like the whole bloody show in my work bathroom and everything. And they're telling me they're going to send me home. And my back labor was so bad. I was like, you guys aren't getting me out of this hospital. I was just like laying in the bed because every movie I thought like that's what I had to do. It always shows pregnant women giving birth just like laying in the bed. So I just kind of thought like, okay, I don't have options, can't walk around or anything, and they're going to send me home. And I was in, from start to finish with my daughter, it was only three hours and 51 minutes long from my water break into the time of her birth. So they were telling me they were going to send me home. They had checked my dilation and I was like three centimeters dilated and then within like a half hour, I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And they were like, no, you can't go to the bathroom. Or like, did you go today? I was like, no, I I didn't go today. And she was like, okay, let me check you. I'm like, lady, like, I really need to poop right now. (laughs) I was like, I just want to go to the bathroom. You just checked me. You guys are sending me home. Please let me go to the bathroom. So she checked me and she was like, um, you're 10 centimeters dilated. You're ready to push. And I was like, I called ahead for an epidural. She's like, oh, it's way too late for that. And I was like, but I called ahead. Like that made any sort of difference. (laughs) But I think God sped it up so fast now that I look back at it because he knew I was made for this. He knew the effects of epidurals. So he was trying to show me, no, like you've got this, you can do this. And um, I did, I was only, I felt like I was pushing forever, but like I made everybody leave the room. They had to call the midwife that was on schedule because at my OB office, you kind of didn't know who would deliver your baby. It was just whoever was working that night. So by the time she walked in, they kept telling me, don't push, don't push. You got to wait for her. So when she walked in, I just like threw my legs up and started pushing. Like I was holding on to myself and I pushed so hard and I guess I was only pushing for like 10 minutes. It literally felt like forever. And it hurt so bad. Like someone was holding a blowtorch on me because I tore really bad to where they had to have um, like a general surgeon come in to stitch me up. But I'm so grateful that it played out the way it did and that I didn't get the epidural and everything because it prepared me for my next pregnancy down the way to know that I could do it myself, that I didn't need drugs. And I obviously had a lot of growth since that point too. So when my daughter was like three, I'll never forget, like I was still on a year round birth control because my endometriosis started coming back. So they put me on a year round pill and they said, on this one, you'll never get your period, 
Um, it's a very rare occasion that you might like spot, but if you ever do, just go off of the pill for three days and then go back on and it'll make it go away. So I was like, okay. But I started having these stabbing pains in my right side. Like I was getting stabbed with a knife and it was making it so I could hardly walk. Like I wasn't going to the bathroom. It hurt so bad. So I was like, great. Like my endometriosis is still coming back, I'm thinking. So I went back in and they did ultrasounds. And it turns out my colon had shifted. And it was like pinched upward. So my bowel movements were getting stuck and not being able to pass through. And that's why I was getting the stab and pain. So the doctor said to me, okay, we can either do a surgery and move it back down, or if there's any damaged parts, cut some out and you'd have to have like the bag, or um, you can take Neuralax for the rest of your life. <laughs> like that was literally their solution. So I was like, not knowing anything at the time. I was like, okay, I'll just take Neuralax. Wow. Okay. Do you know why your colon shifted? Could this have been from your previous surgery? Could like, what, what did they say about that? Or what do you think? They didn't really say anything in my head. I was just assuming because I, I knew my periods were getting bad again, that my endometriosis was coming back. And they're telling me that endometriosis is just like a genetic thing. There's no cause or cure for it. Like it's just the way my body is which I now know that is completely false. And uh, I'm thinking it was coming back because all my organs did shift prior to my, um, like they were all stuck together and they had to move my colon previously. And they put one of those like disintegrate and pad things down to keep it in place for a while. So I think it just started shifting back up and stick into the endometriosis blood. So they didn't really look too far into it other than those options. And then they said like, okay, well, when the Muralax isn't working anymore, like we might have to do another surgery down the line. So I was just kind of like accepted that and was like, oh, this is my life now. But my husband started working with this man who was like this huge buff guy and he, my husband started by picking on like the lunches that he would eat and stuff because he didn't really eat meat and ate more of like a plant-based diet. And he was always reading these books on this Dr. CB. So then my husband's peeking into his like, dude, this guy's huge. Like he must know something. So he started asking him. And then I walked downstairs from our bedroom one morning and my husband was already up. And he was like, listen. I've been researching all night and I think if we change our lifestyle and the way we eat that we can cure your disease. And I was just like, whatever, like it's worth a try. I thought we were already healthy people. We still ate the standard American diet, but like we weren't snacking all the time. Like we weren't morbidly obese people. So I just assumed we were healthy. Obviously we weren't because I wouldn't be on birth control for endometriosis issue and I wouldn't have needed Miralax to go to the bathroom. But that's like society standards of healthy, which is really sad. So I was like, okay, let's give it a try. So we started with changing our diet and we're the type of people that 
we think broad. We don't just look at what's presented to us. So we're like, well, if the diet's this bad, like what about the other toxins in our life? Like if we're going to watch what we're putting in our body food-wise, what about what we're putting on our body, the products we're using? And I think Sunblock, an article I came across that said something in the lines of when Sunblock was created, cancer rates increased by like 300%. And I was I started looking at the ingredients of that and then it led to completely toxin-free living. We changed our life and we're eating more toward an alkaline-based diet, trying to follow Dr. CD's guidelines for food. And I completely changed my makeup brands. Like I stopped wearing makeup for years until I could afford a good clean makeup. And I was like, I just won't light candles in the house. I switched the shampoo, like how everything I clean with. And I was like, literally everything that's marketed to buy is like out to kill us. Like, that's what I felt like. I was like, they just want us all dead. Like everything's out to kill us. More so they want us sick because then you go into the medical system and you get their medications and you get their surgery, which is what you were doing. (laughs) Exactly. I was, I used to, I'm sickened by it now when I look back at how I was, but I kept a binder and every time you leave the doctors and they give you like the sheet of paper, I would file it in my little binder and everything was in chronological order. I was like, I'm every doctor's like best patient. And now I'm like every doctor's worst nightmare. Like if I ever had to go, cause I'd be like, well, what's this? What's that? But I used to be like, doctors love me. And now I'm like getting kicked out of offices if I do go. You, you shed your good girl programming. You were completely programmed and brainwashed to, tr- to make the medical system your God and trust them a hundred percent. And then boom, you woke up and you and your husband woke up kind of from like the matrix, the, the brainwashing, whatever word people use, right? I use the word matrix and that's what I, we always go back to that day in 2019 where my husband was like, let's like, let's cure you. And he's like the biggest test to see if all of this works. And if this stuff really affects us so negatively is if I can get you pregnant naturally. And I was like, yeah, okay, buddy. Like I'm all down for being healthy, but the chances of that happening, like I've seen multiple doctors at this point. We went to two different fertility clinics, the general surgeon, my practitioner, my OB, like my body's destroyed. But I was like, okay, like, let's do it. And he's like, I don't want any other kids. And I was like, I'd have like a thousand. But (laughs) so we completely changed the way we ate. And I always, like I said before, I always considered myself healthy. I didn't even think I was overweight. Like I was still, I wasn't like obese in the BMI chart. I was on the higher end of where I should be, but I was one of those people that was like, oh, the BMI chart is unrealistic. But in just switching the way we ate, like I didn't even start working out or anything. I lost like 50, 60 pounds. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't even realize I had that much weight to lose. And it was insane. Like I was at my healthiest, like I'm running around with my daughter. I'm like waking up with my feet hitting the ground running where prior I used to joke that I needed a Red Bull IV. Like I lived on energy drinks and I obviously stopped drinking them. And like 
at that point, still every once in a while, I would drink one, but I was like, I don't need it because I have all this God-given natural energy just from eating a diet that God intended us to eat, not all these processed fake foods that are designed to keep us sick and keep us in the system, like you were saying. So I was like, regardless if you don't get me pregnant, like I feel amazing. I was like, I'm closer to 40 now and felt better than I did when I was in my teens. I looked better than I did when I was in my teens. And I was like, this is incredible. I'm aging backwards. And I was like, just mind blown by all of it. And then God started giving me dreams. I kept dreaming that I was pregnant with a little boy. And I had a dream and I would tell my husband, I had a dream that I was pregnant and we had a boy. And, but like nothing happened. I'm still on birth control at this time. And then I don't typically tell my husband much of my dreams, but then I had a dream one night that I was out with um, a male coworker friend of mine and we went to a drag queen show, which is totally random, not something I would even go to do. And I said to my husband, I was like, this is stupid. And I never tell you my dreams. And I don't know why I'm telling you, especially because this one's so dumb. But I had a dream that so-and-so and and I went out to a drag queen show last night. Like, how random is that? Well, a few hours later, I checked my Snapchat. And that male friend of mine went to a drag queen show the night before. So I looked at my husband and I was like, stop. I was like, look, he went to a drag show last night. And my husband said, God's telling you to pay attention to your dreams. So then I kept having dreams about, I had a a few more about being pregnant naturally with a baby boy. It was always like around the same lines. It was always a baby boy and we didn't go to a clinic for it. So we went to a Bible study at our friend's house. And I was talking to his mom and I was telling her about these dreams. And she was like, have you guys been like trying? I was like, I'm still on birth control. I was like, honestly, because of the pain I experienced, I'm just so afraid to go off. But if God gives me a sign, I'll stop taking the birth control. So I I don't know what kind of sign I was looking for at the time, but I, I said that to her. And then it was like the next day or the day after that, I started spotting. And I remembered my doctor saying, go off for three days and then go back on. And I had been on this pill for a few years at this point and never once spotted, never had to stop and go back on. So I was like, this is God's sign. And I was like, I'm going off the pill. And I was like, I'm just not, I, at this point I've, obviously off the mirror lax because I'm going to the bathroom better than I ever had my whole life because <laughs> I'm eating so properly and fueling my body with what I'm supposed to be. I'm not drenching my skin in these toxins. So I went off birth control and continued to live the toxin free life. And like we pregnancy wasn't something we were trying for. We kind of always knew that would be like are big, you definitely healed yourself. And I still had, my periods were starting to become like almost non-existent on their own. Like 
I would bleed where it used to be for a week long and I would go through like a pack of pads a day to three days max and they were very light. So I'm almost off birth control for a year at this point. And the month of March, my period was like really almost non-existent. It was like a day long, if that. And my husband was like, maybe this is what they're supposed to be. Like, maybe this is the new norm. And then he was joking around. And my husband has a way, like he'll joke and say things. And he doesn't understand why he says them. And they always come true. Whenever he says something, I'm like, it happens to you all the time. Like he was joking around once and was trying to like tease our daughter and was like, oh, there's a squirrel in your room. And the next night there was a squirrel stuck in the walls between her room. And I was like, it's like you knew it was going to happen. And he does it all the time. And he really dislikes to be like, if I'm like, you're a prophet. He's like, don't say that. I don't like that. And I'm like, you're definitely connected with the Lord though. Like, (laughs) and he joked around and like, we had friends over and all of a sudden, like, I just wasn't feeling well. And I was like, I'm going to go just lay down on the couch for a minute. He's like, oh, you must be pregnant. And I'm like, such an odd thing to say. Like, what would make you say that? So then, and it's funny because we weren't expecting a baby. And so my husband, like, we got rid of our, like, family style car and bought his dream two-door car because our daughter was finally out of, like, the car seat booster so we could have her in the booster and it was easier to get her in and out and uh that week I found out I was pregnant and it's so funny because I was like I'm five days late for my period and he's like well your period was really light last month like maybe you just don't get them anymore and I didn't feel pregnant but I was like when we go shopping at Walmart tonight I'm gonna buy a pregnancy test he's like you're wasting your money He's like, don't waste the money. Like, you're not pregnant. You're ridiculous. And I was like, I I don't know why. Like, I think I am. And when we came home, I came out of the bathroom shaking and crying because instantly it came up pregnant. And the next morning, I couldn't wait to call the doctor's office to go in and be like, haha, did it on my own. (laughs) And we went into the, well, This was during COVID, so I had to go to all of my appointments myself and everything. So I go in just to get the pregnancy confirmed, and every nurse is, like, looking at my chart and stuff because it's the same clinic that I've always gone to, and they're like, are you sure you didn't do IVF? Are you positive you didn't go to do IVF again? Like, that's something I would lie about or forget, and I was like, no, 100%. This is natural, and I even said to my nurse, like, I, because I always logged like periods and intercourse and everything just in case if I ever did conceive like I could go back and know and this is all of it's kind of TMI but I joke with my husband all the time that I was on fertility drugs and could only get two embryos and I got pregnant off of pre-cum because we didn't even get to finish because my daughter woke up from her nap So I was like, you didn't even go. Like, you knocked me up with pre-con. That's how fertile I am now from you healing me. Well, from the Lord leading us to heal each other. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and I'm like, and I'm thinking that the doctors are going to be like, how did you cure yourself? How did you do this? Like, let's tell everybody. But now I realize, of course, 
they don't care because I'm just a patient loss and they're not going to want to cure any of their other patients because then they would be out of their system. But I was like, I, I felt like I figured out and I'm like screaming to everybody in my life at this time, like, like my goodness, like this is how much what you eat and what you put on your body matters. Like I'm cured when doctors told me 0% chance. And I even, I stayed at this clinic, even though obviously I didn't trust any of the people there or like them. And my main doctor that did my surgery and gave me the 0% chance, he's in my area, very well sought out doctor. So he usually has an extensive wait list to even get like a pap smear from him, your wait in months. So it wasn't toward my second, like the end of my second trimester, I finally got to see him. And I was like, can you explain? I was like, I don't know if you remember me or my surgery. And he's like, no, I do. He was like, I'm so surprised because you're one of the worst cases I've ever done surgery on. And he's like, and I don't give out the 0% chance very lightly. And I was like, can you explain this? And he's like, no, I can't. And then he started pushing the COVID shot on me. And I was like, buddy, we are on two separate pages right now. And he's assuring me how safe and effective it is. And I'm just like, my husband, when I went home and told him, wanted to like drive there and print out all this information and give him the facts. And I was like, no, I was actively still trying to find a different clinic because we wanted a home birth, but my insurance didn't cover and it was five grand just to birth, birth a baby at home. And I was just like, we, we can't afford that. So um, that's why I was still only going into the doctor's office anyways. So then in that same visit, he was like, okay, next visit, you have to do your gestational diabetes tests. And I was like, well, I don't feel comfortable with the ingredients of that drink. So I'd like to do another option. And he said, there are no other options. You don't get a choice. You have to drink this drink. And I was like, actually, there are other options. And I was just like, I know I'm not going to see this guy next time. So my next appointment, I went in and I'm still trying to find another provider that accepts my insurance that I like better than these people. And then I just straight up was like, I'm not taking this. These are the options I'm giving you that work just as well. You can pick what one you feel best with, but this is what I'm comfortable with doing. And the nurse was kind of like, um, let me go find a doctor and just get an okay. And another doctor was like, yeah, that's fine. But I was like, okay, next appointment, I'll do that. But that weekend I had um, a video like conference to for a midwife that aligned more with my lifestyle at that point. So I thought, so she actually wasn't taking any more clients for my birth month that my son was going to be born in because she already had like a full schedule, but she really loved my story and how like I healed myself and stuff. So she decided to take me on and I was so happy to like be like, see ya to the clinic I was at because I really didn't align with them. And this midwife, like she was better than the other place. And I thought I liked her at the time, but I could tell, like, I still felt 
awkward near her during my visits. But anything I declined, she was just like, it's your choice. Um, you seem very well educated on everything. So I know that whatever decision you make throughout all of this, you really looked into. And I was like, okay, thank you. And she knew I was really nervous because I didn't want any IVs about being strep B. But I was like, I really worked on cleaning my micro gut biome. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to test positive this time around, which I didn't. And I was thrilled about that because I was like, that was one less thing I was worried about for having to be in a hospital during this time. So... Even my son's name was kind of picked by the Lord to get to that part. It's kind of skipping around here, but we couldn't think of a boy name. And we were just like, ah, I don't know what to name him. I don't like the name that we picked originally for our, for our daughter was a boy. Like we just didn't like it anymore. And one day my neighbor sent my husband um, a passage from the book of Romans and then his friend texted him and was like, man, you got to really read the book of Romans. And we're talking about the baby's name that night. And I reached into my sweatshirt or my closet to grab a sweatshirt. And we knew if it was a girl, this was before we knew we were having a boy. And we were like, if it's a girl, we want to name in her Faith. So I pull out a sweatshirt and it says Faith, Romans 117. So I look at, I'm just staring at the sweatshirt and look at my husband and he got the two people texting about the book of Romans. So I was like, Roman. And he's like, I, I like that. And I was like, I, I don't think we picked it. I'm pretty sure God just picked it. I was like, so we have to name him Roman. So that's how my son got his name too. So with his birth, I woke up. It's funny. Cause like I stopped working that Friday and I was like, you know what, I'm going to make this my last day of work. And just in case, because I went early with my daughter prior to my due date. And I was like, I know it's two weeks, like, or it was like a week prior to my due date, but I want it some cushion. I want it time to kind of like relax. So I stopped working at five o'clock that Friday night. It was like two or three in the morning on Saturday, my water broke. <laughs> so I planned that perfectly, unintentionally. But I woke up that morning and we have this Bible app on our phone. And what was the passage that day? It was something about on this day, the son was born. Something like that. It was about Jesus's birth, but it didn't say his name. It just said like the son was born. I'd have to go back and look it up. But I was like, oh my goodness, of course, that's the Bible verse on the day that I'm about to give birth to our son. And I called my midwife and she was in the hot, she delivered at two different hospitals. One of them I didn't want to deliver at because they didn't offer water births and the other one did. And that was the hospital. She's like, well, I'm at this hospital right now because one of my other clients is in labor. So I was like, oh man, like I really don't want to give birth there. So I literally tried to sit on my couch and not activate contractions all day until I knew she was away from that hospital. So I'm trying not to go into labor until she calls and she's like, okay, like I'm home now. And I was like, okay, go. She's like, why don't you start walking around and getting things going? So I just kept like walking around everywhere and like doing lunges. I'm trying to kickstart things. And she knew I was so nervous about, 
I thought this baby was just going to fall out of me the minute my water broke because my daughter's, my first child, it was less than four hours. So I'm like, this one's going to be like one, two hours, maybe. It ended up being 18 hours and 11 minutes. But (laughs) I got nervous once the contraction started. So we called her and we went to the hospital. I packed, luckily, I was like, pack so much food and water in my bag. Like it was so heavy because I brought all my own water because I didn't want to drink their tap water. And we get to the hospital and things are progressing slowly there. And I remember at one point she came in to check on me and I was eating one of my snacks and she kind of snapped at me and was like, if you're eating, then we definitely came here too soon. And I was like, okay, like I kind of get it. You're tired. You who knows when that other woman went into birth? Like, so she was at the other hospital all night. But, like, don't be mean to me because I'm eating. So that kind of off put me. And I'm at the hospital for a few hours at this point getting things going when all of a sudden, like, all the nurses and stuff come in and they were like, all right, we got to do a PCR test. And I was like, oh, no. I'm not going to do that because of the ingredients on it. I don't feel comfortable with it. And my midwife was like, they're not trying to give you the shot. It's just the PCR test. And I was like, I'm well aware. And I knew this was going to be offered. I kind of thought, because I was already there for so long at that point, and every single one of these nurses were like exposed to my husband and I that this, it wasn't going to be presented to me, that I wouldn't have to take this. Because from all of my research, everybody was supposed to stop it in November anyways. And this was December because it came out that it, the test is inconclusive, that it wasn't even designed to test for COVID and that it was supposed to stop use. So I really researched and studied this. And like, even on the way to the hospital was going through my notes of exactly who invented it, why they invented it, why, what, what ingredients were it. Like I'm literally studying up on the way to the doctors or the hospital. So I can be like, no, this is why, this is why, this is why. So then I was like, here I am actually having contractions now. And I'm like rattling off all these facts where the nurses are like, one of them was actually really concerned. It was like, I didn't know any of this. And I was like, well, bring me the packet that it's in. Like, I want to see what's in it and stuff. And she's like, it doesn't even have the ingredients. So the one nurse was kind of like mind blowing with all the facts that we knew about this test and stuff. And my husband was like, if we don't do this test, like what happens? And they were like, well, we just have to completely gear up and you guys have to wear masks and we have to act like you're COVID positive. And I was like, you guys all realize I've been here for hours and you've all been exposed to me, right? And I was like, if this was this much of a concern, here I am in active labor thinking more logically than anybody else in the room. I'm like, other than my husband. I was like, if I uh, was COVID positive, I would have spread it by now. I was like, I don't have a single symptom. Like, I don't even have a sniffle. Like, I'm here to have a baby. This is the only reason I'm here. So they were so mad that I refused to take this test. My midwife just stood up and walked out of the room. So I'm having all of this debate without her even around because when it came time to choosing her client and the hospital staff, she chose them. And my husband's like in the, like 
reality, she works for them. They're her coworkers. Like she's going to choose them over us anytime. Like we're here advocating for ourselves and we're the only support each other has. So everybody except that one nice nurse who literally just wanted, like she kept asking my husband questions all the way up until I gave birth and everybody else like hated me. And then they all come in the room and I'm like, the contractions are on top of one another at this point. And I kept asking my midwife too. I told, she knew I wanted a water birth, but something told me after the fact of my baby being born at home, I was like, she's never actually, I don't, I never asked her, but I don't think she ever has performed a water birth before. Cause she kept saying, Oh, it's too early to fill up the tub. No, you can't fill up the tub yet. Don't fill up the tub. I didn't get my water birth because I don't know why I listened to her then, but I never filled up the tub because she kept telling me no. When my whole pregnancy, the tub was what relaxed me. I would go in the tub and listen to my Christian hypno bourbon and that, that relaxed me. And that's all I wanted for my birth, which I'm, I don't care that I didn't get that because I still stood up for everything else that really mattered and was important to me. But at the time afterwards, I was like, man, why didn't I defend? Why I should have just filled up that dang tub by myself. Like, why didn't I? <laughs> but I don't really mind that now. But um, it was probably about 20 minutes before I actually started pushing. All the nurses came back in and they sat down and they're like, we need to talk. So I'm like looking at them like, what is going on? So there was some pediatrician on staff that because I was approaching 18 hours of labor or 18 hours of my water break in, if I didn't get an IV, they were going to hold the baby longer because my water broke past 18 hours. And they kept saying, we know this isn't evidence-based information. It's just his personal ref like preferences. And they're like, we agree with you. And my midwife was even like, I know how you feel about these IVs and you did not want any drugs. And she was like, and I'm so sorry, but you do have to decide like of your baby staying here longer or taking this IV. So I kind of looked at my husband with like tears in my eyes and we didn't want to be there any longer than what we had to be. So I was like, do the IV. So they left to get the IV. And at this point, I'm feeling like defeated. I'm exhausted from these contractions that are like making me want to puke at this point. And I go to lay down and I just felt his head shift right down. It was like, God was like, nope, you're not getting that IV. Like you worked hard for this. We've got each other. So instantly I just stood up and I squatted down next to the bed. And I was like, I need to push. And I just started pushing. So nobody's even in the room with us at this point. So my husband's on the other side of the bed holding my hands. And then my midwife like runs around and she looked at my sister-in-law was there. So she was like, go get the nurses. So she like ran out and I was just like, started pushing. And I was like squatting down because that's what felt comfortable. And I'll never forget, like she told me at one point, this position's not working for you. You're going to have to figure something else out. The baby's head's like stuck. Whoever stitched you up before did it too tight. So I just kicked a leg out even further. 
deepened my lunge like and ignored her because I was like I'm not moving like this is how I'm comfortable like you didn't fill my tub I'm gonna birth where I feel comfortable birthing so she didn't say anything after that and then I pushed my baby out and like she hands him under me and I pick him up and I'm holding him and I'm like just so proud of myself for sticking to the no medication at all, still doing like the birth. And I felt no pain this time because I had signed up for a pain-free like burden checklist course thing. So I was doing activities to try and not tear this time and not have pain. And literally I felt no pain throughout all of the pushing that I experienced. So I'm holding my baby. I'm all proud of myself. And then she's behind me and then starts accusing me of holding the baby too tight and yelling at me for squeezing him and like, don't suffocate him. And I felt like turning around and saying like, no shit. And I'm like, I, I didn't like reshift. And I just kind of like ignored her at that point. And I'm like, I'm over you. Like you dropped the ball. You let me down. Like who suffocates and squeezes their baby after everything they just been through? So I'm just holding him and like rubbing him. And then he starts crying. Like, I don't know if it's because he didn't cry right away that she thought I was holding him too tight. But I'm like, I know how to hold a baby. I just remember being so annoyed by that comment from her. And then I'm laying there. And from that point on, everybody did a good job with sticking to my birth plan that I brought there. And I was adamant on it. I kept reminding everybody of it. But the one thing I forgot to even think about was birthing my placenta naturally. And at this point, she's tired, just wants to go home. And obviously, she's completely annoyed and fed up with me. So she birthed my placenta, and I wasn't even, like, thinking about it. Like, I don't even remember if she asked her anything. And then she wanted to stitch me up so she could get out of there. And I still am on no paid meds. So it really hurt. I was obviously sensitive. I just pushed a baby out and she's stitching me up. So my legs are just instinctively like closing. Like it wasn't something I was intentionally doing to try and close my legs to keep her away from stitching me. But she yelled at me and like, she just looked so annoyed and so bothered and started yelling at me, telling me that I couldn't close my legs like that. And I'm making it harder. So I just, I'm holding my baby. I just look at my sister-in-law and I was like, I'm not trying to close my legs, but this hurts. Will you hold my legs for me? And she's like, yeah. So I had to have people like hold my legs just so she could stitch me because it was so painful. And I was just like, and then like she just left after that. And then when she came back, because she had to come back to check on me before I could get discharged. And she was like, I think if you ever decide to have more kids, a home birth is more your style. And I was like, yeah, I know this. And that's what I wanted. Like I settled for you because I couldn't afford a home birth. And I thought you like aligned with my needs for a hospital one. Like I felt like this was my only option. So I said to my husband, after all that, if we ever do accidentally get pregnant again and we can't afford a home birth, like you're just going to catch this baby because <laughs> I'll never step foot in a hospital again. Like, no. And even after, cause all the nurses were so mad at me, the one nurse that was nice, her shift ended that night and I never saw her again. But the one good thing about them hating me is they didn't come in and do all that really annoying trying to check me, check the baby, like constantly because they didn't want to gear up. But 
I'm a brand new breastfeeding mom and they didn't bring me my meals. Like luckily I packed food because they, somebody came in at one point and said that the one meal was left outside the door all day. And this was close to me getting released at this point. And they were like, do you still want it? And I even like called the nurse in at one point and was like, hey, like I ordered like food to eat and it didn't get delivered. And she was like, can someone, the kitchen was closed at that point. She's like, can someone get her like a muffin and a juice or something? And they told her that they would. And then I never saw anybody again. Like they literally didn't feed me. <laughs> wow. That is a crazy story, but honestly, very common too, right? I have a question with the midwife. Hold on. I might, I might have forgotten it. Oh, do you know if you got the – if you got a shot of Pitocin in your leg or you didn't have an IV port, so then you didn't get Pitocin accidentally or without your consent? Nope, I didn't get Pitocin at all. They ended up – they went to go get the IV – And I instantly started to push. And my midwife, it was 18 hours and 11 minutes. And she straight up pretty much told me to lie about the time that my water broke. So my baby and I could get out of there regular time because I didn't get the IV. She's like, just say you were like just approaching the 18 hour mark. Wow, you're really lucky to have an unmedicated hospital birth without Pitocin after because it's so common protocol and a lot of women have no idea. They're blindsided by the placenta birth, by people yanking their placenta out, you know, and then the fundal massage a lot of the time, the pushing on the stomach after and the yanking the placenta and then the shot of Pitocin can be one of the biggest sources of trauma of from a hospital birth that women are blindsided by. I didn't get the Pitocin with my daughter either because they were offering stuff to me and even like pain meds after the fact. But I was like, I just did the hard part. Like I don't need anything. So I took nothing that they, I didn't even take the Tylenol that they offered me. Like, cause they were like, Oh, do you want like the shot now? And I was like, no, there's literally no point. Like I'm good. A lot of women don't even know they were given the drug Pitocin until they look in their chart. So sometimes they don't even know. And the crazy thing about Pitocin is if you have an unmedicated birth, right, your hormonal matrix of your body should be intact. You should be, you know, high off your own oxytocin, but Pitocin is man-made and it's synthetic. So if you have an unmedicated birth and then you get shot with Pitocin after, that can completely disrupt your entire unmedicated birth. And Pitocin has been proven, it's like a 30% increase of a chance of postpartum depression and anxiety. So a lot of women, you know, I would I would say more than 90, 90% of women in a hospital, this is just my rough estimate, receive Pitocin. So they their hormonal matrix of their body is robbed from a big pharma med. And then no wonder you have postpartum anxiety and depression. And then most likely, you know, you have trauma as well, and that's compounded as well. Yeah, no, I was really happy that I stuck to all of that. And then even when I went to go see her for my postpartum appointment, I went in there, she hardly checked at me and looked at me. It was like she didn't want anything to do with me at this point. And what did she say to me? Oh, she straight up told me, well, I didn't agree with half of the decisions you made when you were pregnant. 
And one of the things she pointed out that she really didn't agree with was I had the name of the shot. The shot because my blood type's A negative. So she wanted me to get a shot if I ever got pregnant again. Rogam? She said my body. Yeah, the Rogram, Rogram shot. And she's like, I did not agree with your decision to not get that. And like, it's like I went for the postpartum appointment and it's like the truth came out that she didn't agree with any of my choices that she acted like, oh, you're educated and you know. And then she was like, I don't agree with it. And I'm thinking, you're never going to see me again anyways. Like, this is it, lady. (laughs) Wait, did you get the Rogam shot with your first daughter's pregnancy and then you did not with your son's? I can't remember if I did with my daughter because in my mind – I don't know if I turned it down because I was like, I can't get pregnant anyways. Like I'm infertile and I'm never going to do IVF again. And it wasn't even because of my religious beliefs of how I view IVF now versus how I did then, or even looking at the ingredients of what I injected into my body and not wanting to do that again. It was just simply at that point, the cost and the emotional toll that IVF takes on you. Cause it's not just the cost. Like the shots that you're putting in your body, what you're doing with your hormones, like it was a very stressful time for my husband and I, especially because he didn't agree with any of it to begin with and essentially just did it to make me happy because I wanted to be a mom. But I look back and I was like, I feel like God knew he was going to lead us to study and diet and disease and toxins and give us a baby naturally. And I forced that to happen. Yeah, that's a very woman Thing. Kind of dragging the husband along according to our agenda and our plan. It's a very, it's a very woman thing. But I do want to just urge anyone listening, considering IVF, research the drug inserts of the medications, the long list of medications that they are injecting into you, that you are injecting in yourself. All of these have side effects. All of these have adverse effects, even the Rogam shot. You can have an allergic reaction to the Rogam shot. These things, these products are not risk-free. No, they're really not. And one thing that I learned with all of my research and starting to ask more questions is at the doctors, when you ask them for it, in my case anyways, I asked for an insert during a doctor's appointment once and they didn't give me an insert. They gave me a printed sheet of paper about why it was good. And I'm like... And at that time, I was like, okay. And now they tried to do that with the Rogam shot, actually, at the midwife appointment. And I'm looking at him like, this is one of those BS pamphlets that they hand out that make it seem like sunshine and rainbows if you do it. And then if you don't do it, it's like you're like you're going to kill your next baby. And I'm like, I literally have to go on like just the inserts.com and study it myself because... I need to be self-educated on everything because they are, aren't giving me the full information, which how is that actual consent? That's corruption at its finest. I always Google drug inserts, so I would recommend that. Do not rely on the system for information. <laughs> right. That's what I would Google, and I have all my people that I follow now that are like, quote unquote, crunchy for our term. And a lot of them post like the actual information and have the slides and the studies. And 
I started reading all the books and watching all the podcasts that have to do with it. And it's so sad because my parents, like I said, doctors are like gods and they're dealing with their own medical issues right now. And when I try and give advice, my dad actually said to me, even with showing that I healed myself against what the doctor said, he was like, will you just like listen to podcasts and read blogs? Like these people went to medical school. And I was just like, I can't, like, I, I can't even argue with you about this. Like, I wanted to get into the, well, who created the medical school? Who funds the medical school? But I was like, it's going right over your head. Like, I, I'll take my, my blogs and my podcasts and move along. Like, Yeah, if your personal life story is not wowing your own parent, they are committed to their own lifestyle and life in the way that they want it. Oh, absolutely. And they've even, like, I've tried to suggest things for them to do. And they told me recently with my mom's blood pressure that my diet lifestyle of mostly fruits and vegetables, because that should be like, I said, that should be the bulk of her meals right now, that Every doctor they talked to at the hospital from her last heart attack said that that could have killed her. And I was like, a healthy diet? And I'm like, mind blown by it. I was like, how can a healthy diet, like, kill somebody? I was like, and he's like, I'm going to trust the doctors and let them fix her. Wow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard when we experience a life event that shatters us out of the matrix and then the people closest to us aren't interested and don't want they 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 their blinders are still on and and that's what life is right like none of us awake at the same time and we just want other people to experience the freedom we experience but everyone is their own sovereign human, their own sovereign adult. And a lot of people love to be sick. And a lot of people love to make doctors their gods. People, Some people love to have their broken body because that is their entire identity. And they like it that way. They, they, wouldn't, admit, right. they wouldn't admit that they like it. But a very sick, diseased human gets a lot of emotional needs met by being sick and diseased because you can go to doctors and they spend, um, they, they give you attention. And a lot of times your loved ones can give you um, attention, emotional needs of love, sympathy, and even caretake you if you are sick and diseased. So you get a lot of emotional needs fulfilled when you are an adult that is chronically sick and diseased. So there's a huge payoff. So if you change your lifestyle and become truly free and healthy, you could lose these emotional needs. I agree. And the victim mentality, a lot of people have that, which I always did too, because that was in my household. Like I didn't even know what accountability was. Like I was, even my husband used to be like, you don't even know how to apologize. You, you'll you say you're sorry and then you'll defend why you did what you did. Every 
I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but, and then like talking through it with him and having him point it out and stuff. And now I'm like queen of accountability. Like, well, I step back, like, how could I have done that different? What did I mess up? Like, what did I miss? And it wasn't like that at all. And I feel like because I've had so much growth, especially within these past five years of studying all of this and completely transforming our lives, I really thought that becoming pregnant naturally, everybody would be like, wow, she like my, like my family, she knows what she's doing. But they're just like, oh, it was a miracle. It was just a blessing from God. And, oh, we're going to live our way. And I'm just like, it, it's frustrating. Like you said, when you break out of the matrix, and especially, like, it wasn't like I just broke out and was like, oh, this is what I think. Like, I've proved the healing. And so did my husband. He had issues with his ankle and stuff and from surgeries he had when he was a kid. So he was told he had, like, arthritis and, like, tendonitis in his ankle. And when he was a cook in a kitchen – there were nights he couldn't even go upstairs to go to bed. He'd be sleeping on the couch because he couldn't walk the next day. If we did like a trip to a theme park, he couldn't walk the next day. And now we'll do a trip to the theme park. And then the next day he's running around playing with our kids in the yard or like chasing and playing with the dog, something like he doesn't have ankle issues. <laughs> also, your story might not influence or inspire your own family or friends, but it will inspire other women that listen to this story. And so that's something. My husband and I say that all the time. We're always like, okay, the people that were born into our lives, like it's sad to say, but maybe that's not our audience. They're not like our people. That's not our tribe. And there are people out there that go through similar stuff with what we went through. And this could be a source of hope for them and to realize like, hey, if I change my diet and I get rid of these toxins in my life and work hard at this, like I could achieve it too. And he's like, maybe the Lord knows that like those people can't like don't want to be helped and they're going to choose not to be helped, but some people are, are going to choose it. And that's why he was excited with me being on this podcast for our healing story to be heard because it might help somebody. And if I can help even one other person, an accomplishment in my eyes. Yeah, thank you so much for having the courage to come on here. I think a lot of people, once they sign up, they're like, oh, shit, this is a lot of courage. <laughs> and how am I going to do and all these things? But because of your courage, you can give someone else hope. And it's putting that discomfort and that fear aside in the service of others. So thank you. No, thank you for giving women these opportunities to be heard because you give like just the regular everyday average woman who went through something and overcame it to give them, you give them a voice to be heard to help other women where a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. And I love your podcast. I appreciate all that you do and I'm honored that you let me share my story with you and all of your following. Do you, do you want to end on any sort of monologue or soapbox <laughs> that comes through when I ask that? Is there anything that you want to speak to, you know, with a woman listening? Does anything come up? I guess just have faith in yourself and don't blindly trust anything that is just presented to you and to always 
ask questions and dig deeper. Um, that's one thing I, I wish I did that earlier on in life. And I understand that got everything's in God's time and in his will to be done. And I understand that. And it's really helped with my journey and strengthened my relationship and reading the Bible transformed my life too. But it's, it's that it's questioning everything. I just, I was like, well, doctors went to medical school. They know because that was the environment I raised in and really asking questions to break free from the matrix of what we're told. It, it changed my life for the better. And now I can't even look back and I, I just want to shake everybody else awake. <laughs> <laughs>